God is worthy of our praise and certainly worthy of more than we uh, are able to give him. And so uh, just uh, back in the book of John again today, um, our desire is that God would be praised among not only a small group of people, a hundred some gathered in a little building uh, with lots of concrete here uh, on old highway 20 in Iowa Falls, but that God would be praised among many more people in our community and many more people around the globe. And so um, to that end, we study God's word, uh, see what it says about the God that we worship in order that we might then proclaim that truth to other people. And so hopefully you see this time not only as being something that God uses by his Holy Spirit to stir up your heart, but that also might stir up uh, our lips, that we might speak and proclaim the truth. And so uh, open up to John chapter 4. We continue our series through John. And we're in John chapter 4 today, looking at verses 27 to 42. If you were here last week, we looked at verses 1 through 26. And we saw uh, the, the message title was Wrong Places. Remember, we saw that Jesus was traveling from Judea, Jerusalem area down in the south up to Galilee in the north. And in order to get there, he had to travel through Samaria. And so he, in that traveling, was weary, sat down at a well. The disciples went off into another town to buy food. And Jesus there has an encounter with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, someone who most Jews would have looked down on because of who she was and also because of what she had done. We saw that Jesus is a Jesus who goes to wrong places to meet with people who have begun looking for life and satisfaction in all the wrong places. And he talks to this woman who's concerned about what is the right and what is the wrong place to worship God. And Jesus tells her that the hour is coming and is now here when, when the Father will seek out people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's not going to matter whether the temple's on the mount there or on the mount in Jerusalem. So last week we talked about the wrong places. This week we're talking about the right time. And we're starting in verse 27. We're going to see last week we only had two characters. We had Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Now we're going to see as we go through the rest of this story, a number of other characters come in, including the disciples, coming back from town with the food they had gone to buy. And now we're going to see some more interaction. And so my hope as we go through this is that we would be able to answer the simple question for ourselves, when is the right time to share the truth about Jesus with others? So, our custom is that as we read the Word of God, we stand. And so if you're able to do that, would you please stand as we read God's Word now from John 4, 27 to 42. I'm going to pray first. Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit has inspired John to write this account. Thank you that your Holy Spirit, who dwells in all of us who believe, continues to be at work, shining a light on your word and shining a light on our hearts. There are dark places that need light to penetrate. There are ways in which we need to be stirred up and motivated. And God, we, uh, I'm, not allow, I'm not able to, to do that by just preaching, even if I get excited. But your spirit is able to do that work, and I pray that you would do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says this, beginning in chapter 27 of John 4. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but 
no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say they are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. You can be seated. As usual, in your bulletin, there is a sermon notes page and some application questions for you to look at as you go throughout the week. First point is this. What? Share the truth about Jesus. John 4, 27 to 30. And so, you, you note right away, remember we had talked a lot about last week, all of the reasons for which it would have been very unorthodox for Jesus, a Jewish man, to be having a conversation with this Samaritan woman here in Samaria. He's on their turf, and most Jewish people would try to get through there as quickly as possible because they saw the Samaritans as traitors, political rebels, racial half-breeds who had developed their own version of the one true religion. And so it would have been shocking, as we see here, to anyone who would see that a Jewish man would initiate a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And so we see that. Verse 27, the disciples come back. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said. So so you get this picture, right? These guys coming back from town and they see what they're seeing. Jesus talking to a woman who's clearly a Samaritan. And so there's marveling going on, but they I don't know why they don't say anything. Peter maybe had a sore throat or something, because usually he says something, right? Um, but But nobody says anything. Uh, John suggests things they might have been thinking, like, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? But nobody says it. But there might have been, I would assume, a look on their faces, which might lead to what we see in the next verse. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. I wonder if she didn't know, okay, it's time to leave, based on the whisperings and murmurings amongst the disciples and the looks that they gave each each other and maybe the looks that they gave her. Anyway, somehow she 
finds that it's time to end this conversation that she's been having with Jesus, which has been a really good conversation. And she just leaves her water jar there and she goes into town. And when she goes into town, she has a message for the people there in town. The message comes in the form of an invitation. Now, remember what we looked at in this lady's life last week. We were curious as to why this lady may have come alone to draw water when most of the time it would have been more customary for women to come together. Why would this woman come at the very hottest part of the day to draw water? And then we saw, as Jesus knew, her life had been morally quite messy. And so... It might be, uh, we, we need to keep that in mind as we maybe remember not just the reputation this woman would have among Jews being a Samaritan woman, but probably the reputation that this lady had built for herself in her own community. Yet because of the encounter that she had with Jesus, she is willing to go back to her town and offer an invitation to people there. Come, see And it's an invitation to come and meet a person. She tells them this, come see a man. And I think it's interesting to note her testimony, which is really short. She's not even convinced it doesn't seem yet that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus told her that he was. But at this point, she's still just wondering. So she ends with a question, can this be the Christ? But interesting, isn't it, that she is willing to share this testimony when she says, who told me all that I ever did? It wasn't like she got together with Jesus at the well and he said, good job on all those gold stars for your Sunday school attendance. That's not all she ever did. What did Jesus tell her? He told her, you've had five husbands and the one you're with right now is not your husband. What Jesus told her about herself was not was not the kind of light fluffy congratulations for all you've done in your life kind of stuff it was pointing out the moral mess of her life yet this is what she goes to tell other people they would know probably her reputation in that community oh we know all that you've ever done and you want us to come and meet this guy who told you all that you've ever done you're, you're actually claiming that this might be the Christ? And so she's said enough to them to make them curious. Verse 30 says, so they went out of the town and were coming to him. Her invitation works. She doesn't have everything all together. Her life hasn't probably yet been transformed. It's just been a few minutes since she walked into town, shared the story, and now people are curious enough to listen to her that they're going to come out to meet Jesus. They're responding to her invitation. And now John is going to take us to the conversation that was happening at the well while this was happening in town. So before we move there, I want to do a couple of points of application. One point of application of this could be this. God uses unlikely people, dot, 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 like you. God uses unlikely people. This Samaritan woman, who was likely an outcast amongst even her own community, she is the one who is now going back, having heard the truth that Jesus is the Christ, she's going back to share everything she knows, which at this point is not much, and even ends with a question, and her invitation works. God uses unlikely people like us. 
listen to this poem written by a 12-year-old girl named Betty. I, I wonder if we would be willing to be people like this Samaritan woman who, knowing there's probably a risk for her to come and to, to make this claim. I'm sure there were people that would roll, her eye, roll their eyes at her with this claim that she's making. But she had enough guts, enough courage after her encounter with Jesus to go and be vulnerable before her people and say, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I read this story this week of a young girl named Betty who I read the story of when she was an adult. But when she was a young girl, she was 12 years old, uh, she wrote a poem. You can tell this is a while back because of the language of the poem. But here is the poem that Betty wrote, an offer of herself to God at age 12, saying, God, use me in whatever way you want. Here's what she wrote. Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt and work out thy whole will in my life at any cost now and forever. That's a good graduation poem, right? And this this young girl at age 12 shares this. She writes this and I think she means it. The reason I think she means it is because she would go on to be a missionary in China with her husband. But shortly after arriving there, having just given birth to their first child, a daughter, in 1934, Betty and her husband John would be taken away by communist forces to be publicly executed for their faith in Jesus and the proclamation of the gospel. This girl was serious about her commitment. At whatever cost, I will proclaim the word of God. Whatever your call is on my life, that's what I'll do. God called her to missions in China. That's what she did, and she died for it. Or you think of the story of Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband Jim Elliot uh, had this burden along with others to reach the Waldani tribe in the Amazon. And so they do the work uh, that it takes to try to initiate a relationship, but the end result of that is Jim is murdered. Yet Elizabeth, rather than growing bitter, will eventually go back to the very people and proclaim the gospel and love and care for them, seeing even some of them who were responsible for murdering her husband come to faith in Christ. And so we see God often using unlikely people. Would you expect her to be the one to go and proclaim the gospel to those people? Certainly not. And so I would ask you, have you heard enough about Jesus to tell others? This Samaritan woman hadn't heard all that much yet, but she had an encounter with Jesus, and for her that was enough to go back, even though her life was kind of morally a mess, to go back to her people and share what she knew about Jesus. How about you? Have you heard enough? Let's go on to the next section. I told you that John is going to take us now to here's what was happening back at the well as she's doing this back in the town. And so we see that in verses 31 to 38. Remember, the disciples had gone to town to buy food, John told us. And it says here, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Remember, Jesus stayed there because he was weary. And so they care about him. And so they went and got food. And so it's logical for them to offer it to him. And to say, Rabbi, which is what they called him, eat. Eat this food. 
And Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, uh, has anyone brought him something to eat? This is another example. We've seen it already many times in the Gospel of John where Jesus is talking at one level, like with Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is saying, well, how am I going to get back in my mother's womb? That's not what I'm talking about, right? And then we saw it last week. The Samaritan woman, Jesus says, I can give you water and you'll never thirst again. She's like, wait, I'll take that. I don't have to come back to this well. Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. And now we get it here. The disciples say, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're like, who brought him food? Like, we went to get the food. Who brought him food? No, they're looking around. There's nobody around in, in the desert there. But Jesus is talking about something else. What is the food that Jesus is talking about? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, the food, the thing that will satisfy him, the reason for which he came is to do the will and work of the Father. That's what he said. That's what I'm about. This is what I live off of. Verses 35 and 36, do you not say, he starts using a farming analogy with them. There's yet four months, then comes the harvest. Okay, That's, they're, they're looking at things in that way. There, there's a time now, a harvest time is coming later. Right now is the time for something else, probably some planting. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest already. The one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. The sower and the reaper may rejoice together. There's a lot of parallels between farming and gospel work. And many of you have the, the blessing of being involved in farm work. And so you probably process through those things quite frequently. Right now in farming, it's planting time. We look forward to a harvest time, but that's not yet. That's like down the road a ways, a few months down the road. But Jesus is telling his disciples who are assuming that maybe right now is just sowing time or something like that. He's saying, look, the harvest is ripe already. It's time now. I wonder if maybe even some of the people from the town are starting to come up over the hillside and they're seeing crowds starting to come. The people who had heard the testimony of this woman, I wonder if they're maybe not already coming. And Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, we're only just getting started with this ministry, but the time is now. The harvest fields are ready. Fields are white for harvest. And then he goes on to tell them much of the work has already been done. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, right? So long time before the disciples came on the scene, there had been God at work through the prophets and, and through the, the scriptures and now he's saying, the time is now. What are you waiting for? So again, a couple of points of application before we get back to the people of the town of Samaria showing up. Application, I think, here would be don't delay or make excuses. When is the right time to tell the truth about Jesus? Not after you've had a little bit more training. Not Just now. There's a harvest ready now. So don't delay or make excuses. It's easy to get caught up in trivial things. The disciples, what are they thinking about? Food. I, that, I'm guilty of that a lot of times too. Like I'm just thinking about food a lot, right? Maybe you're at that point already. Like, get, get preaching, pastor. Food. 
there's food coming. Right? I got a graduation party to go to. I'm going to eat food that I didn't even have to make. I'm looking forward to that. Right? But it's easy to just get caught up in stuff. Life is busy. And so we get caught up in the normal everyday stuff of life, and we forget that there, is, there are fields out there ready for harvest. Farmers know that when, when that time comes, you quickly set aside other things. Normal everyday things like showering and brushing your teeth might go to the side because like, it's time to get out in the field, right? The harvest is ready. I'm willing to set other stuff aside because the harvest is ready. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There's a harvest Fields are white. Let's get out there. It's easy to get caught up in trivial things. When it comes to sharing the gospel, we can make all kinds of excuses, but when is the right time to share the truth about Jesus? Now. One principle that Kirsten and I have learned in parenting uh, that was taught to us is that delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay, Delayed obedience is disobedience. So the way that works out in parenting is that, let's say we're, we're at the park with kids. Uh, we'll let them know. We'll give them a warning. Hey, three minutes until we go. So they know that that's coming. But when that time comes to go and we say, kids, come here, it's time to go, our expectation is not that they, they barter with us for a little bit more time or, or we have to count to three. That's delayed obedience, and delayed obedience is disobedience. Our expectation, when we give them a command, come here, then they come here. We want to teach them that as parents. I remember, uh, you know how you remember things that your parents said to you, and now you find yourself maybe saying them to your own children? I remember um, one of my dad's phrases that got repeated over and over again. Um, one thing that happened frequently is we would be in bed and then we would get out of bed uh, for some lame reason, you know. Um, and we would come downstairs um, and my dad's response would be, um, he, he had this, uh, well, the second point of the sermon. Um, he had this, re- he would say, get back to bed. When? Now. So like that, when? Now. Uh, and I can still hear him uh, saying that uh, to all sorts of commands that my dad would give would end with, when? Now. Right? And that's the kind of thing that I think I hear Jesus saying to the disciples. The harvest is ready. When? Now. Right? It's time. Let's go. Don't delay. Don't make excuses. Others have done all sorts of work, right? They've done work. They've done the sowing. The work has been done. I wonder. I wonder if there's some mother somewhere who's been praying for their son or daughter for 20 years, asking that God would provide. They've planted seeds. They've done what they could. And they're saying, now they've moved off to this town called Iowa Falls. And they've been praying and saying, God, would you provide someone who can come alongside them and talk to them about Jesus in ways that I, they're not open to me hearing that. What if that person goes to school with you? What if that person works with you? The harvest is ripe. It's time. When? Now. Sowing and reaping, I think, need to be happening at the same time. Part of our our reasoning for adding an associate pastor, which, by the way, keep praying for us, we've gotten to narrow it down, and God's provided us with, uh, we kind of narrowed it down to three at this point, great candidates. And so as we look at that, we need to be, be praying and recognizing the whole reason for doing this is that God would equip us Uh, bring a pastor who might be used by God to equip us for this work, to see the harvest fields that are ripe around us. 
This is the mission that he's given to us and when the timing is now. Drop seeds in the soil and let God work, but be ready to harvest at the same time. Be bold in talking to people. That doesn't mean we like, because Jesus wasn't sugarcoating stuff, right? So we need to have tough conversations with people about their sin, like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. He told her everything she ever did. That's part of sharing the gospel, is talking about sin. We need to be ready for this at all times. And then finally, verses 39 to 42. Who, even the most unlikely, verse 39 says this, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. What kind of testimony is that? It's just short. He told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And many believed. And who's believing? Samaritans of all people. That's what Jewish people reading John's gospel would have thought. Of all people, really, Samaritans? Those guys? They're the ones who are hearing this testimony and believing that Jesus is the Christ? Them? They don't even have the whole Bible. They're messed up. Yep, them. God uses unlikely people to reach unlikely people. And so, verses 40 to 42 tell us this. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. So they're coming out of town, and they're just, hey, can you stay with us a couple days? And so Jesus does. He stays there with these dirty, unclean Samaritans, right, for a couple of days. And what happens? Many more believed because of his word. Okay? So she did her job, just shared the testimony, the little bit she knew about Jesus. That was enough to get some to at least come and to, to listen to him. And now we're told many more believed because of his word. This is a theme in the book of John, that people hear the word of God, and their response in hearing the word of God, many of them, is to believe the word of God. And in believing the word of God, they are given the free gift of eternal life. We hear that also in John chapter 10. How are they to believe? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved, right? How are they to, be, how are they to call on the name of him, him of whom they have never heard, right? You can't believe in somebody they've never heard about, and so somebody needs to tell them, right? And this woman did that, and now these guys have the privilege of actually hearing the words of Jesus himself. So then they say to the woman, it's kind of funny, I think, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. Uh, thanks for the testimony, that was cool, but now we heard Jesus, right? For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Her, her, her testimony just ended with a question, can this be the Christ? But Jesus, now they've met Jesus themselves, and they've said, thank you. Now we've gotten to come face to face with Jesus, and we know. Who's saying this again? Samaritans. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They're getting this. And so, some final application for us. Yes, even that one. So what are we to share? We are to share the truth about Jesus. When are we to share that? Now. And with whom are we to share it? Anyone, everyone, even the most unlikely. This is good news for all people because as the Samaritans came to know, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He was not just coming for the Jewish people, the Jewish people who at this point looked at Samaritans kind of with some sort of contempt. 
The Samaritans are seeing that Jesus has come to be the Savior of the world. So you may not have all the answers. You may only say enough to make people curious. But say something. Say something about Jesus to the people that you're around all the time. Maybe there's someone that God has laid on your heart as of now that you haven't followed through with. When should you do that? Now. Take a step this week. It is such a joy and privilege to know the Savior of the world. And don't you just love that our God uses unlikely people, like a Samaritan woman, like me, like you, and he does this to save unlikely people, like Samaritans and like us and like thousands who live and work around us every day. We're going to close by singing a song, Facing a Task Unfinished. That's what we're doing. We're facing a task that's unfinished, a task that Jesus gave to his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded. This is a task that's yet unfinished. And so are we committed to being a part of this task? Or are we guilty of living lethargically? Living like a coward, scared to say anything as people around us are dying, going through eternal punishment. Are we just kicking back in slothful ease? So I hope that as we sing this, we sing it with resolve. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have met with us. that we who have encountered Jesus and who are convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, not only of the world, but he is our Savior. I thank you that you have revealed that to us. I thank you that you have, by your Spirit, caused us to be born again. I thank you that you have saved even the most unlikely among us. And God, would you help us to recognize that, that we have been saved into this family, this body of believers called to be the body of Christ who then go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, the truth about Jesus to other people. We may not be fully equipped for that work. We might not feel like we have it all together. We might have made a moral mess of our lives like this Samaritan woman. But God, would you use us even this week as people who have been redeemed, as people who have been brought into your kingdom, may we have hope for the world around us, knowing that that hope is found in Jesus. Help us to proclaim the truth about Jesus boldly and gently. In Jesus' name, amen.